You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Hey, if you're sitting on that side of the aisle, would you grab the black notebook and uh, pass that down? If you're visiting with us, it's a great place to let us know that you're here. And um, for all of us, we say this often, but we mean it. If you've got things that we can pray uh, for with you, we would love to do that. And so it's a great privilege. We do that as elders and pastors um, every week. And so would would love to be able to share uh, in those prayer requests with you as well. Well, if you've got your Bibles, if you would turn uh, to Psalm 42, that's where we're going to be. And if, if, you've don't got your, if you don't have a Bible or electronic device, that's all right. We'll, we'll have it up on the screen. Um, but we're going to look at, beginning today, a series of psalms over the next few weeks. And uh, to, to begin this, uh, there's an email I received not too long ago. Uh, the, the title of the email said, uh, Talk About Getting Burned. That's the title of it. Here it goes. Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, a lawyer purchased a box of very rare and expensive cigars, then insured them against fire, among other things. Within a month, having smoked his entire stockpile of these great cigars, the lawyer filed a lawsuit against the insurance company. In his claim, the lawyer stated that the cigars were lost in a series of small fires. The insurance company refuted to pay, citing the obvious reason that the man had consumed the cigars in normal fashion. Uh, The lawyer sued, and the lawyer won. In delivering the ruling, the judge agreed that the insurance company, uh, with the insurance company, the the claim was frivolous. The judge stated, nevertheless, that the lawyer had held a policy from the company in which it warranted the cigars They were insurable and also guaranteed that it would insure them against fire without defining what it considered to be an acceptable fire. They were obligated to pay the claim. Rather than endure the lengthy, costly appeal process, they wrote him a check for $15,000 for the loss of the rare cigars. Now for the best part. After the lawyer cashed the check, the insurance company had him arrested on 24 counts of arson. with his own insurance claim and testimony from the previous case being used against him, he was convicted of intentionally burning his insured property. 24 months in jail and paid a $24,000 fine. (laughs) Sometimes you feel like you have life by the tail. And the next moment, it all comes crashing down. This morning I want to talk about discouragement. It's out there, and we try to avoid it. We, uh, we do all we can to, to swerve around it, to, to dodge it, but the reality is it's out there. It's, it's out there because life's out there. Life's weird. We're weird. And we're broken. Discouragement, if you are not in it, you have likely recently come out of it, or... You are headed for it. John Newton, in 
the late 1700s, wrote an old hymn. Uh, the title of the hymn is How Tedious and Tasteless. How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields strive in vain to look gay. But when I am happy in Him, December's as pleasant as May. It may seem like obsolete words, but they are still true nonetheless. But the key to them is being happy in Him, being happy in God, finding our happiness in the only true source of happiness that there is. And the reality is that you'll never find happiness in circumstances. You never will. The psalmist is going to help us today. In the psalm, uh, actually two, 42 and 43, they likely go together. There's themes of discouragement, maybe even depression, although probably not to the point of clinical depression, but, but real, heart-wrenching discouragement. You know, as you think through the Bible, um, the Bible's not shy about the discouragement that we experience in this life. You can think of stories, you can think of Judas and his remorse. He, he ultimately hung himself. You can think of Saul, King Saul, sitting in a dark tent, consumed with himself and the, and the world around him, engaged in this demonic depression. It had paralyzed him. You think of Moses in Exodus chapter 11, who fell into great discouragement. You can think of Jonah. After, after preaching a great revival in Nineveh is, is discouraged and, and is pouting under a tree because the Gentiles had repented. And one of those, maybe the most surprising, is the Apostle Paul. You know, in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he says he despaired even of life. Even of life. But maybe nobody struggled with it more than David, though. Throughout the Psalms, you come across often what is called a lament psalm. Lament psalm simply means to express sorrow or discouragement, uh, to, to weep, to, to groan. They, you, you lament the conditions because they, you reason... That if God's truly sovereign, if He's the truly sovereign ruler over the whole earth, then His faithful followers, they shouldn't have to deal with these kinds of things. And so they pray to God. They, they lament to Him. They ask for His deliverance. In different ways, they, they pray for His kingdom to come. They think that something appears very wrong in the world with God's sovereign rule. Well, that's what we have here this morning. It's encouraging to me how relevant the Bible is, continues to be. It, we, don't, we don't make the Bible relevant. It, it is relevant. The principles, they're, 
They're timeless. They're, they're true. In the Psalms, there's 59 lament psalms, more than any other genre. David is specifically named in the superscript of 44 of them. The superscript of our psalm here in Psalm 44, if you've got your Bibles, you'll, you'll see the, the, the small writing, the, the, the writing or, or the typeset that's different than the verse. It'll tell you the, the sons of Korah. These were a group of priests, and they were charged with the with the ministry of, of singing, of leading worship, of, of, of playing hearts, you, you can find them referenced in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. They stood up to praise the Lord, it said, the, the God of Israel with a loud voice. And although written by the sons of Korah, many scholars, a lot of commentators agree that it likely describes David's experience. Maybe the same experience of when he fled Absalom, when he writes Psalm 3. The heading implies that the psalm was, was probably used in public worship. It, it was probably sung. The, the psalms are, are songs. It was the song book. It was the, the worship manual for the people of God. They're, they're poems. They're, they're written to to awaken us, to, to stir in us, to, to express for us the, the emotional life. What it means to live as a human being created by God. Poetry and singing, those, those means express the, the emotional part of who we are created by God in His it's hugely important for us. This psalm, if, if you notice, is called a masculine. It's, it's not clear w what the word means. Um, it's a Hebrew word. It, it could mean to, to make someone wise or, or to instruct. And if it's applied to a psalm, it may mean that a song that instructs or a song that, that's wisely crafted for our benefit. And so with that in mind, I want us to walk through Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, and I want us to hear, I want us to hear from the psalmist who has found himself in the, in the depths of discouragement. And then what the psalmist does in the midst of that discouragement. If you look with me in Psalm 42, I'll begin reading verse 1. It says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The, the psalmist, he's, he's empty. He has nothing. He, he sees a, a deer near death's door, dying of thirst, looking for a stream. The, the panting deer longing for water, clinging to life. He comes to the riverbed and finds it dry like a deer pants for flowing streams. See, spiritual dryness has, has overtaken the psalmist. He, the thirst has, has ceased his, his soul. He, he's, he's empty. He's, he's desperate for living water. And notice the psalmist, though, in the midst of this, is addressing God. It's a, it's a prayer. It's a, it's a song. 
So, so the faithful saint here, here, here he is spiritually famished. He's crying out to God and what's he experiencing, what he's experiencing, what he's feeling is it's like coming to the flowing stream only to find a dried up riverbed. Dried up earth in the middle of a drought. So his soul pants, his soul thirsts. And so he sings. When shall I come and appear before you, God? How long before I'm in your presence again? I'm desperate. I'm empty. The thirst of my soul is severe. Where have you gone? I reach for you. And I don't find you there. See, the absence of the presence of God is a desperate place to be. Believers through the centuries have described it in different ways. They talk about it as the wilderness or a, or a dry season or a dark night of the soul. Spiritual depression is sometimes what it's called. Listen, it's not that he doesn't believe in God anymore, but the psalmist, he, he can't sense God as the living God. He, he, he's lost this relational experience of God's presence. Maybe you know that experience. Maybe you're in the throes of it this morning. A long winter that, that won't give way to spring. In verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? The, the discouragement he feels internally is compounded by, by those around him who are enjoying his sorrow. He, fit physically, the discouragement's taken its toll. My tears have been my food day and night. Yet there's... No encouragement to be found. Like Job's three friends, the presence with Job only highlighted the absence of God. Where is your God? You can hear the, the mocking tone. If this is David's experience, the, the man who was a shepherd boy who slayed Goliath, the man anointed by Saul to be king, the man who entered into an eternal covenant with God, the man who was the great king of God's people. Where is your God? And the whisper of the psalmist's heart is, I don't know. In verse 4, he remembers better days. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go to the, with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a, a multitude-keeping festival. He remembers the better days. He remembers experiencing God's presence. He remembers the joy of, of being in the sweet part of life, of, of leading, of, of living out what He was made to do. What he was called to do, leading others, praising God. But for now, it's just a memory. He, he feels so far away from who he is. He feels so far away from the community and the 
support and encouragement of God's people. He feels lost from God. Well, look at verse 5. It's, it's a refrain. You, you, you'll see this in verse 5. You see it also in verse 11 and then in Psalm 43 again in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for, for I shall praise Him. I will again praise Him, my salvation. So what we have here is in verse 5, the psalmist is having a, he's having a hard conversation with himself. See, the most influential preacher in your life, it's been said, the most influential preacher, Preacher in your life is you. Most influential voice in your life is your own. Martin Lloyd-Jones in a, a book called Spiritual Depression, he says this, Have you not realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? T take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning, you... You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody's talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Spurgeon said it this way. It's as though he were two men. The, the psalmist talks to himself. His faith reasons with his fears, his hopes argue with his sorrows. David chides David out of the dumps. Well, he'll continue on and through the rest of 42. and Verse 6 through 11, My soul is cast down within me. That therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Miseries. We don't exactly know who the psalmist is. We know where he is. He's, he's in the far north of Israel. He's, he's a long ways away from the temple of God. In seven, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers, all your waves have gone over me. I'm, I'm, I'm drowning here. The force of the deep swallowing me up. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. His steadfast love. The song of the night is with me. Notice the way that verse 8 reads the the song itself, the prayer itself has been given to the psalmist by God. So in verse 9, I say to God, My rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? 
hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. In 43, he turns to pray and asks God to vindicate him. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For, for you're the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? In verse 3, notice what he prays. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. I'm in the dark. Having a difficult time. I don't know what to do with all the questions that I have. Send me your light and your truth. Then I'll go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist is in the throes of despair. He's, he's greatly discouraged. And yet he remembers back when he knew the presence of God, when he could remember what that was like. And that even though in the present, he doesn't feel the presence, he, he longs for, he prays for, he, he has faith and hope in that this season will not last forever. That God, you are my refuge, you are my rock, you are my hope. An important note in this psalm is that when you read through the lament psalms, well, one of the things that is a common thread in lament psalms is repentance. The, 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 the loss of uh, the sense of God's presence alongside a sin that needs to be confessed. So dryness and, and drought, spiritual thirst, longing for the presence of God and re repentance. The, the restoration of fellowship that comes through repentance. See, sometimes we, we learn from the Psalms. We, we learn from the lament Psalms. Sometimes that's the source of, of spiritual drought. That, that's the source of the wilderness, of, of the dryness that we're experiencing. However, I want you to notice it's not the case here. The, the, the psalmist, the, the, this writer, he, he's experiencing this dryness, this, this spiritual drought, this, this, this deep sadness. And he's done nothing wrong. It's just come upon him. This is what catches us by surprise. See, when something goes wrong, we, we start to experience that dryness. Or we feel as though we're wandering into the wilderness. We, we, do, we, we examine our lives, but, but we do so in a way that says, look, there must be something I'm not doing, some, some button I'm not pushing, some, some lever I'm not 
pranking. I mean, maybe I've left something off of my Christian to-do list. Maybe I've just ignored it for too long. There's got to be a reason. I think that's a moralistic way to view this. So I'd say some of the, one of the reasons it's tough, it's difficult. When we're in those times of discouragement, to, to talk to our friends about it, to, to speak to, to a brother or a sister, say, you know, I'm really struggling here. See, I think we think our friends, our brother, our sister, maybe even our spouse, say, well, you're not experiencing God's presence in your life? You, you, you're feeling dry? You, well, have, you, have you prayed in faith? Have you confessed all your known sin? Have you claimed all the promises? Have you rebuked the devil? Have you, have you watched TBN? Have you counted all your blessings? Have, because surely there would be nothing wrong if you were doing everything right. The, the psalmist here is not doing anything wrong. He's dying of spiritual thirst. And there's no confession here. There's no, I'm sorry for my sins. There's no, I, I hid them too long and now, now I'm coming clean with them. I, it, it doesn't say that. See, one of the realities that this psalm reminds us of is that if you're a believer long enough, and spiritual dryness will come. The thirst and the drought and the wilderness may come. It'll happen. And sometimes it's the result of sin in our lives. I would not want to minimize that in any way. We should be quick to confess our sins. And sometimes I want you to know that it will just come in the midst of your life and catch you by surprise and you didn't even know it was coming and you don't even know what it is that's happened to you. I played center field in high school. And I don't remember a lot of things, but I will never forget standing in center field and the pitcher's on the mound. And he throws the pitch and I see the batter swing and I hear the ball hit the bat, but I never saw the ball. It wasn't that I wasn't looking. It wasn't even that the sun was in my eyes. It just... For one millisecond, for one moment, I missed the ball coming off the bat and I couldn't find it. And I began to feel relieved when I saw the, the shortstop and the second baseman running towards the middle, towards the base. I thought, oh great, it's an infield ground ball. Until all of a sudden I heard the thump on the ground right next to me. To make matters worse, in my panic, I picked the ball up and threw it like my little sister would. 
at 19 hops into second base. There I am. Went from bad to, to worse. So I think the psalmist is going to help us here. He can help us. No, listen, when, when it comes, when the, when the thud happens, when we didn't see the bat off the ball, when, when we're just standing there, how, how, do we not, how do we not pick up the ball and then throw it like a girl? How can we respond when this comes into our life? Here's a couple of things I offer from the text. First thing we see is that he pours out his soul in verse 4. Therefore, I, I pour out my soul. In fact, that's what he's doing in the whole psalm. And What's a little bit ironic about it is he says, I, I, I don't feel God. I don't, I don't experience his, his presence. I'm not getting anything out of worship. I'm, I've thumbed through the Bible. I've gone to all the things I've underlined. I've, I've sung the songs. I, 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 I cannot seem to find where he is. And yet here's the psalmist. Praying, speaking, crying aloud. See, I would say that if you find yourself in a place where, you know what, I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of worship. I read the Bible and it just seems so dry to me. I don't. That none of the old things that used to stir me or capture my affections. All of that seems cold to me. The psalmist pours out his soul. I don't feel anything. But here I am anyway. Talk to God. Tell Him how. You feel. Tell him what you're experiencing. Admit out loud, God, I'm reading this word, this living word that's sharper than a two-edged sword, and I seem it's it's winter, and I'm longing for spring, and I don't know where you've gone. And I want to be back. The worst thing to do would be to ignore the dryness or to seek escape from the wilderness in, in illegitimate ways. We've got to be honest about the thirst we have. We've got to be honest with God about the discouragement that we feel. We don't ignore the spiritual disciplines that we know. We lean into them. Not expecting that they are magic in any way. But we're leaning into God. Secondly, I want you to see, and 
chapter 42, verse 5, and then in verse 11, and then again in chapter 43, verse 5. You heard the refrain over and over again. Why are you, why are you cast down on my soul? Why, why are you in torment, turmoil within me? A hope in God. Three, three times he does that. So, so he's asking himself, he, he, he's examining, he's, he's auditing, he's, he's looking, okay, where is my hope? Now, I don't think this is rhetorical. I, I, think he's, I think he's seeking, I think he's examining. Well, why am I so downcast? Is it because I've put my hope in things that are Letting me down. So spiritual dryness can come upon you. It can come upon you without sin being the cause. And at the same time, that wilderness, that dryness, that drought is the perfect time to examine our hearts. To ask the question, what are we hoping in? In, in Psalm 3, if you, if you went back there, and we won't, but it's, it's a David's psalm. He's on the run from his son Absalom. It may be that this is the same occasion. And, and there, he, he, he's right. So it's his favorite son, Absalom. Is, and he's on the run from him. So, so he's lost his family. He's lost his son. He's, he's fallen from the glory of, of the people of Israel. He's lost their esteem. Right in the middle of Psalm 3, verse 3, it says, But you, O Lord, you're my shield, my glory, and the lifter of my head. David's examined his hope. You know, it's no longer in my son. It's no longer in the glory of my son. It's no longer in the esteem from the, from the people. I've lost that. But as I examine my hope, I am refocusing it, and God, I'm looking to you. It, you, you are where I am longing. You, you are what I am longing for. You are what will slake my thirst. And I won't be devastated by the loss of anything else. But I can't live without you, the lifter of my head. See, listen, uh, he's audited his hopes. Where does his hope lie? Circumstances, human relationships, you, career, even your family, none of those things can bear the weight of your hope. Only God. The third thing I see is that he remembers the love of God. In chapter 42, verse 8, he one writer said he's, what he's doing is turning the grace of God into a song he sings to himself at night. By the day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song, his song, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Remembering. Rehearsing. Singing. In the darkness of the night, 
the love of God. Last thing he does, and we mentioned it before, but he's, he's preaching a sermon to his heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You, you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are thou downcast? Well, what business do you have being in turmoil? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged Himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance who is also the health of my countenance and my God. He will be my joy. I'm counting on it. read this deal this week and it was a woman's account of being in a time of wilderness and a time of great discouragement and had um, all but given up. So she tried one last thing. She she decided to go to the Psalms and she took two colors of pen. And one of those is that she, she, she underlined in the Psalms with one color pen. Everywhere that she resonated with what the psalmist was feeling. Like a deer that pants for the flowing stream, so my soul for you, God. And over and over and over again, where the psalmist resonated with her heart. And then she took the other colored pen and she went through. She underlined every promise that God had made. Every promise that the psalmist claimed. Every promise that God showed up in the midst of despair. And declared His faithfulness and His love. She's never done anything like that. But seeing it and hearing it and rehearsing it over and over. She was preaching to herself. I'll tell you a way you can preach the gospel to your heart with effectiveness. When we get to the times when we think, well, God's finally given up on me, and he's, he's not there. I've reached out in the dark, and I can't find him. It's easy to go to places and say, well, I'm a failure. I'm, I've been abandoned. 
The psalmist says no. It's as I will yet praise him. He's a loving, kind God. He's gracious. Never leave you. Never forsake you. The reason we know that that's true. We can go back and read Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And listen and hear the voice of the one who said, I thirst. Literally said, I'm dying of thirst. To hear the voice of the one nailed to the cross that says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can see the one who's nailed there hung in shame and hear the enemies taunt him, where is your God? Let's see if He'll come and save you. Listen, I don't know the roads of discouragement that you will travel. You may feel like you're in that darkness this morning. And maybe you've been there for a long time. You've just been trying to run from it or escape from it. But let me tell you this morning, you don't have anything to fear. You're not alone. Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. He he experienced not just the loss of the feeling of God. He lost God. Even though he was trusting in God, he he had the ultimate thirst, the, the ultimate divine, eternal Cosmic thirst. Why have you forsaken me? He was really forsaken by God. He really experienced the thirst of God. Why? So that in spite of your failures, in spite of your inadequacy, God never gives up on you. God treated him. God punished him. God laid on Him and gave Him the things we deserve so that we can receive His love, His grace, His presence always, even in the midst of darkness. That's what you have to say to yourself. You preach Christ to yourself, even in the the darkness of discouragement. You'll be better for it. The light will come on. You'll see that you've grown. Not only that, you'll find yourself farther down the path than you ever imagined. You thought you were stumbling in the dark. You thought you were lost. You were being carried the whole way. Farther ahead. Stronger than you were before. You're becoming more like your Savior, Jesus. Todd wrote a song a couple of years ago. It's one of my favorite songs that he wrote. It's probably one of my favorite songs ever. We sang it this morning. We're going to sing it again here in a moment. Maker of my days, the chorus says, Rain may fall, sun may shine. I don't know what's in store. But you are strong. Everlasting, you are sovereign, Lord. So I can say,
You are the maker of my days. And I choose joy. If you would, would you bow with me and let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the timelessness of the truth in your word. Father, I thank you that this Bible, this living word, this sharper than two-edged sword word is not sanitized. It hasn't taken our humanity and our frailty out of it. Yet, Father, it, it gives us language. It gives us voice. Father, is deep calls to deep in our own experience. We find it a great comfort that you hear us, that you know us, that you sent your Son to die in our place, to, to ransom us, redeem us. We know your grace and your love unconditional. But Father, you've promised you never leave us, nor forsake us. Even if we can't see, you've never lost sight. Even in the moments that we experience as darkness, Father, they are light to you. So encourage us this morning. Father, give us words to preach to ourselves. Draw us in your grace to your Son, Jesus, we ask. The only way we can, and that is in the name of your Son Jesus, seated at your right hand and by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.